This is the Toasted Sister Podcast. I'm Andy Murphy. In this episode, I talk with Natalie Benali about her film, Indigenize the Plate. It's about a journey to Peru that shows her what sustainability really looks and tastes like. She showed the film the other month at Tiny Grocer ABQ in Old Town, Albuquerque, and I was invited to do a live podcast recording. Indigenize the Plate is now playing on PBS. A link to the film and Natalie Benali's website is in the show notes. Now, before I get into this episode, I'd like to say thank you for listening to this podcast. And I want to say a very special thank you, thank you to patrons on Patreon. With your contributions, I'm able to do live recordings just like this one. If you like the work I do here, please consider supporting on Patreon. It's like a virtual monthly tip jar where you can give a dollar or more to show your appreciation for the work I do here. Also, I'm partnering with Liz of Tiny Grocer ABQ to put on a live indigenous food event in April. For more information, updates, and sponsorship opportunities, follow Toasted Sister on social media and subscribe to the newsletter. You can do that by visiting the website ToastedSisterPodcast.com. I had to start paying for this newsletter service, so it would be really awesome if you could sign up. Okay, here's the episode. So hi, uh, so So hello, my name is Natalie Banali. I am born for the Great Streak Inns People Clan, born for the Red Running Into Water Clan. My maternal grandparents' clan is the Zuni Pueblo People Clan, and my paternal grandparents' clan is the Water Edge People Clan. And that is how I identify as a Diné woman. I am originally from the Navajo Nation, was born and raised there uh, on my mother's land, and now reside here in Occupied Tewa Land, also known as Albuquerque, New Mexico. I do way too many things in my life. <laughs> I'm a filmmaker, a dance artist, uh, a writer, an actor, a director, choreographer, a community advocate, language advocate, um, a mother. So I do a lot of things in terms of just like not just my work as an artist, but also just as a person in the community uh, wanting to help and empower other communities. And I am the executive producer and the host of the documentary Indigenize the Plate, uh, which will, you will all be seeing tonight. Um, it, it documents my journey of connecting with the Quechua people in uh, Peru and uh, is really a reflection of a young uh, contemporary natives outlook on things such as food sovereignty, um, cross-cultural exchange between two indigenous cultures from two different parts of the world, Um, also looking at a lot of how the effects of climate change and food scarcity is affecting uh, marginalized communities, uh, specifically my community back home on the reservation. So many other different things. Um, so yeah, so that's that's a little gist about me. 
How did food come into your life and how did that kind of inspire you to go into this project and make this uh, documentary, Indigenize the Plate? So I grew up um, in a farmer family. So my family, uh, my mother's side of the family uh, where I grew up, uh, we grew corn and squash and also raised sheep and we had horses. And so a lot of my childhood was spent um, being outside with my family, planting and harvesting, learning how to make, you know, roasted corn, learning how to make blue corn mush. So learning how to butcher, which was a very fun experience at five years old. (laughs) Um, That's a memory I'll never forget is like seeing my first butcher happening. Um, I cried, just so you know. And yeah, so I feel like food has always been an uh, like a very important part of my of, of my childhood. In the film, uh, we we kind of start in Boston, right? Yeah. All right. H- how did that How did that partnership happen? How did you find uh, Chef Duarte? Yeah. No. Uh, so my so the story started in terms of this this project started with connecting with uh, Chef Jose Duarte, who um, is the founder and, uh, and restaurateur that you'll fi- see in the film, and he had a restaurant in Boston. Uh, one was called uh, Taranta, but that closed during the pandemic. And then he opened up another restaurant called Tambo 22, which is where we did our first stop. And then we understood sustainability. You know, sustainability, you can have economic sustainability. You know, it's all, it's all a daisy flower. You know, it's something that, that is a composition of different elements. You cannot have one thing without the other because they're all part of the whole system. You know, when you look at the human part, it's the most important part, the social part. And that all comes into six years ago, being introduced to this agricultural community in Peru, in Santa Cruz de Huaripampa. That's when Taranta said, okay, why don't we help this community? What can we do to help this agricultural community? And that's when the chapter of the Santa Cruz Lodge started. The Santa Cruz Eco Lodge is a hospitality space which doubles as a cultural resource center. It's an indigenous-led alternative to mass tourism by prioritizing ancient growing techniques traditional food preparation, and other cultural practices. It opens its doors to visitors who wish to learn and offer reciprocity to the local community. And so it was sort of like this uh, journey of that um, really started with me um, taking a closer look at my relationship with food and my culture when I tore my Achilles tendon in my right ankle. Um, so that was sort of like the, the, the initial inciting incident that led to this journey of me really uh, re-examining my life through a different lens um, when you're no longer able to move. And so I made connections with him through the director of the film, Ernie Zahn, who's also the co-founder. We co-founded our company, Senato. And so that relationship got established through um, them. When we were talking about the the project, Jose's work in eco-sustainability, but also like looking at our long-lasting impact uh, when it comes to how we go about gathering food and owning restaurants and really was doing, like you said, when you said being in the OG of the the Indigenous Food Network, um, Jose is very much an OG when it comes to really trying to run a business in the most eco-sustainable way possible, but also like trying to do a lot of work and have a lot of influence on like how can he better community while doing this work as well? So that's that's naturally how we all cross paths. 
And then uh, connecting to the uh, the indigenous people in Peru, what was that trip like for you? And what what kind of foods did uh, you learn how to cook with? And and do you cook with them today? <laughs> yeah. So through Jose, uh, his work with the Santa Cruz Lodge, which again you'll see in the film, um, uh, was how I was able to make connections with the Quechua community that you see um, in a place called Guadipampa, which which is in the northern black Andean chain of Peru. Um, so it took a while to get there. It was a very long journey to get to this place. Lots of uh, we plane rides, uh, bus rides, going up a little like one lane road into the Andes. And you're just kind of like, cool, awesome vibes. I hope I don't die. <laughs> so, um, and yeah, so being up there, uh, again, learning a lot of the similarities and sort of like seeing two cultures who share very similar methods of growing corn or um, various dishes that are made with whatever's what resources are available there. I guess you could say like I was very much heartache is not the word I'm searching for. There was a big yearning in my in my heart when I was there. It reminded me a lot of my childhood being outside in the fields and seeing like the people harvesting the food from the grounds and and really kind of transported me back into that time as a child when I was like going into the cornfields with my mom and dad and my aunts and my uncles. Um, and so there was a natural like sort of nostalgia that kicked in while I was there. And so um, and so what that really did was taught me to sort of reevaluate my life here in the States and sort of like really kind of allowed me to see past a lot of things that I was conditioned to believe growing up. And so I wouldn't necessarily say I, I learned how to, to you know, I, I learned something new in the sense of like, oh, did I learn how to make a new food that I make? It was like I relearned how to be myself in this world where there's so much chaos and so much, like, noise that uh, it, it allowed me to sort of remember what that kind of life was like uh, before, you know, going off into the world, going to college, trying to make a living, kicked in as an adult. Um, so, yeah. Uh, I, I felt definitely a connection when, uh, you know, you brought up that part and you're bringing it up now of uh, look, looking at your own life and uh, kind of feeling that nostalgia. I have great grandmother who had a same kind of like uh, field of corn and um, uh, that that hasn't been the case in the last couple of years. And, um, you know, now sh now she's gone and I haven't seen that field in so long. And I, I, I don't think um, anybody in the family has been planting or really paying attention to that part of the land that she cared so much for. And you bring up, um, you know, a part of what I think a lot of young native people feel kind of like that guilt of leaving. Um, I know you'll get into it in the film here, but for the podcast, can you uh, describe a little bit of that about how you made those connections to, I guess, that guilty feeling when you were there in Peru with this uh, with this group? Yeah, um, that sentiment is shared widely by lots of younger Native people across many nations of this really murky line that we are in when we're trying to exist not just culturally and traditionally uh, but also trying to exist in a world um, where you know making a living is seen as um, 
success. Material things are seen as success. And, you know, with my generation growing up, I was heavily encouraged to leave home, to leave the reservation, that success is out there. You have to go out there and find it. Make something of yourself. Leave home. You know, get out of here, you know. And I remember growing up thinking, oh, man, I can't wait until I leave. I can't wait until I get out of here and I make something of myself, right? And then, again, before this week doing this documentary, I had that feeling of, like, being unsure whether or not, like, if I was valuing myself based on what I wanted to or if I was valuing myself more what the world wanted me to be. And so that sort of battle or, I guess, struggle of trying to find that balance within myself and within my exter- my external world um, really was something that I th- I really wanted to show that because I think, you know, sometimes a lot of people assume that being Native or being Indigenous, um, you know, you can, some people use either term. It It's not a monolith. It's not like a one type existence. It's very diverse. It's very multifaceted. It's very complicated. And so I think with my particular experience, you know, I, I had this really strange notion of like, yeah, I do know who I am culturally. I knew where I grew up. I know where I stem from. But I also really struggle to connect with that when I'm trying to make money or like have, pay my bills, uh, participate in capitalism and all these lovely things we're doing right now. That was like what I really also wanted to, sh- to showcase when it came to telling my story. There was another interesting part I wanted to ask about was when, I'm going to spoil it a little bit. (laughs) Spoiler alert. (laughs) But but you did an interview with Oliver, um, and he's speaking his indigenous language, and you are speaking your indigenous language, Dene Bazad. Why did you want to do that interview that way? Yeah, that was um, when me and Ernie, the director, were brainstorming what ways we can push the boundaries when it comes to documentaries and just any sort of media you see out there. That was something that we had come up with early on. Ernie was like, wouldn't it be really cool if we like saw an interview segment where you're speaking in Diné and Ollie speaking in Quechua? And at first I was like, yeah, I mean, that sounds cool, but like, but are people going to get it? Like, would it make sense to like just not use English or Spanish in this case, uh, uh, particularly in that community? And so we kind of were like, yeah, let's, let's do it. Like, let's, let's go for it. Um, and it ends up being a really, like, as you said, impactful moment in the film because it's a part where you hear no colonial language being spoken. And then the only part where you hear it is when I'm struggling to try to remember. Okay, this is where I get emotional, y'all. <sighs> is the moment where you see me struggle trying to remember my language and that's a very strong pain as a young Native person when you're doing so much and you're trying so much to be who you are, but it's so hard sometimes to shake the, the shackles of colonialism and 
the cultural genocide, assimilation, all the all the historical trauma that our like many of our people have carried, and and it's a part where a lot of younger folks who have seen um, the documentary have really felt deeply because it shows them how they're that like they're not alone in that in that struggle, but also it's it's very validating to know that it's it's okay to struggle, it's okay to have a hard time trying to remember words, it's a, it's okay to take your time trying to say even just one sentence in your language and um that was the main the main point of that segment and i debated keeping the part where you saw me struggling but i kept it in there and i'm i'm happy to i'm that ernie the director was like i think that's that's really important and he really supported me and just being like you know, because I'm like, I, I don't want to be seen as not perfect. <laughs> so I was like, I don't know. And he was like, no, like, do it. And I was like, okay, I'll leave it in there. And so, yeah, that's that's how that came to be. Uh, Natalie, how did this trip kind of change your view of indigenous food and what chefs, you know, really do? One thing that was definitely very different when I came back was I felt way more motivation to do more and trying to revive uh, my family's farm, trying to understand like, okay, there's obviously things that are going to make that really difficult given the effects of um, climate change, but also particularly in the area that I grew up, um, Church Rock, there was a uranium mine spill back in the 70s that completely decimated the, the water supply in that area. And so growing food there um, is just much, much more harder. Um, and so I've been really trying to think about ways to, you know, maybe start off small. I, I talked to my mom today about like, I wanna try to grow a garden and see what could possibly grow in like, you know, a small section of like our backyard. <laughs> um, and really just trying to see about like, how can I actively do more of that as opposed to just talk about it. And then the other thing is, is that in the film, again, spoiler alert, um, in the film, Jose says something very poignant to me of like the, the important relationship food has with culture and how culture has a relationship with food. You can't have one without the other. You have no culture with no food. You can't have food without culture. I never, I mean, I knew it and I would, and I heard it, but I never quite understood it until I was not just in Peru, but when I came back and I understood how much of my identity and my cultural knowledge stemmed from the foods that I grew up learning how to make, the foods that I learned in the ceremonies that we use. It just, um, it, it re, again, reopened my eyes back up to those things um, in a way that I, I knew was always there, but I just, I couldn't really see it at the time. How does all the different things you do kind of give you inspiration or, you know, help, help you do that gardening or um, maybe cooking differently? If, if that's happened, have you cooked differently after your trip? Uh, I try. <laughs> um, Are you good? Do you cook? I, I cook sometimes okay. if I have to. <laughs> okay. Um, yeah, I, I definitely am very intimidated when it comes to cooking because, uh, again, growing up, like, oh, hello, plane. <laughs> um, can you hear that? Yeah. Okay, hold on. We're going to wait for the plane to pass, y'all. Hold on. Okay. Um, 
I mean, growing up, it was very intimidating because, like, you know, you're you're trying to learn, but of course, like, you have that like good old native way of learning of just like I'm not going to show you how to do it just do it watch and do it and I found that very intimidating as a kid because I was like uh I, I, I guess I can do this um and then just being very terrible at it um and but I have done more cooking at home whereas before I would I would eat out a lot um because I would always be busy and I'd like be like oh I never have time to cook but I definitely once again like when, when I got injured and when I went on this journey of this documentary I really strive to do more cooking at home Am I perfect at it? No, absolutely not. I still go back and I fall back into the cycles of like eating out again when I get busy. But it's it's a learned practice. Like you know, it'll take time, but I'm I'm, get, I'm getting there slowly but surely. <laughs> you know, that's one thing that um, I learned over all of these years that I've been covering indigenous food is just how vital it is for people to learn how to cook. After doing all this work and talking to all these people um, for the last, you know, eight, nine years, you know, there are a couple of different um, versions or or a couple of different uh, ways of food sovereignty, uh, indigenous food sovereignty. And the most important pillar of uh, indigenous food sovereignty is just that individual the ability for you know average Joe Indians <laughs> to to bring these uh, uh, foodways and these ingredients into our own kitchen and be hungry for it. All of this work that folks are doing in this Native American food movement it doesn't mean anything if we don't know how to bring these lessons and these foods um, and these values connected to foods like into our own kitchen and and be hungry for it Um, and that starts with a lot of just eating and learning how to cook and broadening our our palate Uh, you actually uh, just you made me think of something when you're speaking about that is that I also think it's important to to have conversations and more conversations about accessibility when it comes to wanting to do more in, in our own work and your community's work of like really trying to know whether or not things are accessible and unfortunately we've learned um, through conversations like this that unfor- that accessibility is not accessible for like marginalized people are less access- like have less accessibility to traditional more healthy foods um, than other uh, more privileged affluent communities and I think like the more we're able to sort of push against that and talk more about that and even though we are talking a lot about it now there's still such a slow like movement into like trying to make sure that foods that are traditional, that are native to this land, are being um, accessed by communities that are in need of them. Um, so I also think like being able to quite, to understand like where does your, your, your stance and your privilege and what that means um, and how can you um, provide accessibility if that's something that you're able to do. All right, we'll head into the film in just a little bit now that we can see the, f- the, the screen here uh, more clearly. Um, but one last question here, Natalie. What do you hope folks here and um, on my podcast take away from watching this film? My main hope with this film is, is to spark a sense of curiosity, but also a sense of finding solutions that was something that I was very adamant about uh, talking with Ernie talking with our team was we didn't want this story to just be another tragic 
like oh look at all these things that are going wrong like we know what's been going wrong for a really long time like let's let's be real like we've been having a lot of these conversations there's been a lot of information put out there we know what's happening and I think the important thing to ask yourself is what am I doing to either one stay in the cycles that is destroying our, our ecosystem that's destroying our planet our Nehmahastan or Mother Earth what what little ways can you start and what big ways can you have impact and and really just trying to understand what that looks like for you um, so I would hope that with everybody here that you find a sense of a sense of a, of a question for yourself on are you truly being in your your morals and values when it comes to seeing what's happening in our society to our earth to our food systems or are you choosing to be complacent and i think to be honest and transparent about that to yourself is the first step That was Natalie Benali and I live at Tiny Grocer ABQ. Check out Indigenize the Plate in your local public TV listings and get more info on Natalie's website, saynato.com or at visionmakermedia.org. Intro music by C.W. Ayong. This outro music from the film is by Renata Yazi. And I'm Andy Murphy.